This is Agronomy Moment. I'm Wendell Cohen. All right, everybody, welcome to Agronomy Moment. Um, as usual, it's unscripted. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth, nor anyone here. I do want to welcome a new agronomist here to our table. Scott Dickey, you've been with us for a few years, and you went on to take another role as regional agronomy manager. I think I said that correctly. That's correct. <laughs> and now I would, I do want you to introduce, and then Selena is our new agronomist here, but tell me a little bit of the area, Selena, that you cover and what area you've been taking over. Yep. So I'll cover what Scott covered. So um, Western Missouri, Southwest Missouri and Eastern Kansas. So that's the territory that I'll, that I'll be over um, helping those guys out. Very good. So, and then, so you'll be in Southwest Missouri, like you said, and are you going into Kansas too? You probably said Yep. That. Eastern Kansas. Yep. So, Hopefully, well, Southwest Missouri will share a little time with you coming down here next summer. Absolutely. More than what Scott on his way to Nebraska, yeah. come from Nebraska or in Nebraska. But <laughs> we'll, we'll continue on with our our um, thoughts here. The main thing here, today's topic kind of inspired me is what I was thinking about is wintertime and fall and what we're doing to prepare for 23. There's nothing needs to be said about 22. I'm ready to slam the door on that season really hard. I think that does bring up kind of okay. a key point though is you know you hear a lot of folks talking about things they observed or had happened on their farm in 22 and yep. I think we got to remember all those things that we saw but I don't know that hopefully we make too many big decisions based okay. on what we saw in 22 because of you know it, in a lot of cases it was a number one number two drought for most people and um, yeah take the little tidbits of learning yep. we can from what to do in those types of situations but Hopefully, we're not planning for 22 type conditions when we make our decisions for the future. So we want to focus on things that we can impact in the future and things that we do know, because the things that we don't know, sometimes we can actually go directions we don't want to. You'll end up limiting yourself more yes. than had you just planned yes. for a normal-ish year, yeah. whatever normal is anymore. Gotcha. So, so one of the questions I guess I'm coming to and I'm wanting to introduce here is things that we can do, things we do know. And one of those things... Maybe we don't know as much as we should, but I think we should talk about a little bit is relationship of soybeans as it relates to soybean cyst nematodes. And what do you do? Is it, should we test? Is it something we should test for at times or? I'll let Selena have her two points here in, in a second. But for me, observations I've had in the past is soybean cyst nematode is highly variable within a given field. And especially in Southwest Missouri, we run into situations with very, very high egg counts. And then right next to that, a few feet away, you might have zero. So I think if you're sampling, it's a great thing, but don't make total decisions based off of one sampling. Um, if you get a sample a set that comes back as no eggs or very low counts, don't assume that that is the rule for the whole field. Sure. Because, uh, for example, in Southwest Missouri near Lamar, once I sampled, and we had over 100,000 eggs and uh, went back, resampled the exact same spot. And we had about half of that when I resampled. And had we been in just a slightly different location, we might have been in a situation where the counts were very low. Yes. But we do know from the one sampling that it was very, very high. Does that mean the whole field was very, very high? No. 
but yeah. that's just the nature of the beast. And I think one way to kind of try to determine if you have a field that is not acting right through the whole field, you have spots that don't seem right compared to the rest of the field, those okay. might be targeted spots to look for. So help me out, understand though, and maybe Selena, you have, may have a thought on this. Is SCN, is, is nematodes found pretty much on average in our soils in Missouri? Like, can we assume that there's at least some there or is it still a highly variable zero to a hundred thousand yeah i think to scott's point is that you know they're here um but to the to the level it's going to be variable um and the soils around so echoing his point um that i think it's here they're here but in certain spots of the field it's worse or not as bad or don't make whole decisions just based on um you know this particular area of the field or that particular area of the field but just know that you know some have some awareness that we are dealing with it and that, you know, it, it can become a problem. In, in some right. geographies, there may be fields that don't really have enough to worry about. But in southwest Missouri, which I'll include in this geography, I think more often than not, there are cysts in those fields and they may likely be at a level that is causing yield hit. So going, um, it's kind of leading me to another question, which results kind of what I've been thinking is, so how do these nematodes travel through? So is that something they're... Is it because they just kind of sit where they're laid, like maybe a tillage tool dropped them there? Exactly. Or do, then do they move through the field very fast? They, they don't move quickly through a field, but they get drugged through the field. So tillage, you know, a lot of okay. times you'll find entrance locations where mm, bring in okay. tillage equipment and put it in the ground. That could be a plant or anything to carry soil from one field to another. Okay. Mudding is another big way to move soil along with the system. Okay. In 93, after the big Missouri River flooding, yeah. Fields that hadn't had historical issues with soybean cyst nematode, just after that started having issues with soybean cyst. You probably, yeah. on your guys' farm and river bottoms, you probably deal with it almost more than most people. Yeah, a lot. River deal with it a lot in those river bottom soils. Okay. So yeah. what are you guys doing to help manage that? Or what is there something we can do? Um, I think, like Scott said, the carryover from field to field. Uh, sometimes it could be a hassle, but um, trying to, to clean tillage equipment uh, to a certain extent uh, could potentially help with that. Okay. Um, seed treatments, um, there's yep. hardly a field back home, you know, in the river bottoms that we don't have Ilevo or, or yep. something additional to help that uh, seedling, you know, get a, get a good start. And is there other practices like we could do as far as right. genetics or other crops or what? Talk a little bit about that. There are different genetic packages that provide protection for individual races. Uh, the thing we run into a lot, though, the primary race in Southwest, I can't remember which one that is off the top of my head, is not well controlled by PI-88-788. Okay. And so that's the issue is it's a highly adaptable species, soybean cyst nematode. And when you look at how well they're protected by the genetic forms of resistance, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, just depending yeah. on what races you have present. So if you do find you have a cyst nematode problem, you need to identify what races are present and then backtrack and look at what genetic sources of resistance are available to you to see if they're effective for what you have. Then, of course, you have soybean uh, seed treatments like Ilevo that helps suppress soybean cyst nematode to some extent. So there are options out there. Um, If your problems are, you know, I'm not prepared to have a good discussion on the different counts and how we manage them. But if your counts are fairly low and manageable, you can manage them fairly effectively with rotation. Um, but you also need, as they start to ramp up, you got to up your game on how you're managing the cyst nematodes so they don't become a problem. 
you don't ever really though kill them by go rotating away from a non-host, right? Like they will go dormant, but they don't really die. Reduce their okay. numbers okay. for every year of a non-host crop you have present. Um, we used to throw some numbers around that after talking with some of the professors like at MU, he didn't feel those were quite accurate. But yes, for years okay, when people so have you a host crop, you okay. do reduce their counts. Um, the other thing you have to keep in mind is we have winter annual species that are hosts for soybeans as nematode. Now, they are, are they as effective at hosting them as, say, soybeans? No, but they can enhance their ability to survive things like henbit and okay. uh, species like that can so, enhance. So when I could conclude then a fall spray would be a good, another way of being able to eliminate a host. It will be, it would be a help. benefit. I mean, it, would be, yeah. it could be a benefit. Yeah, that would be one little cog in the whole in, game. In your, on how in to, your system or your plant. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to move on to something else. We're talking about soil soil sampling. Um, what we're we're starting to see that samples are coming in. Guys are doing some sampling and trying to make sense of what we're seeing in their soil samples. Tell me what's some priorities that you would focus on, uh, maybe Selena, on soil sampling. You got your sample back. Now you're going to look at it. What are some of the first things you like to look at? Soil pH would would be the first one that I would. I would say is the most important um, having the um, more of a neutral soil helps with um, the release of nutrients and um, cations and anions in, in the soil to help those uh, nutrients become soil available and uh, help the plant absorb those. So that would be the first thing, uh, pH that I would look at. And then um, obviously P and K, uh, seeing where those levels are at, addressing those. And uh, especially for the different crop types, like we talked about, the corn is going to be higher uh, phosphorus and uh, soybeans going to be higher need for, for potassium. Okay. So like your P and K and your pH would be some of your macro things to pay attention to the most. Now, you mentioned cations and ions and also you can talk about CECs and different things, but help me out. Is it is it really a benefit to sit there and dive into that on oneself or... Do you about need software to really give you an analysis? Um, I mean, the soft the the test you get back is going to have your yes. you know your analysis on it. Obviously, the internet is a really great tool to have. So diving into some of those explanations on CECs and things like that is beneficial to know what your soils are capable of and and what they can do. So it's, it is important to to sure. have some sort of an idea of, of that. Yeah, so you can have a good discussion with your suppliers and make sure you're yeah. getting the Appropriate Correct. recommendations for your fields and to maximize your performance goals that you have for those acres. Sure. Is there is there things in that soil test though that maybe not as important towards that we talk about a lot, but that you would say in recent years we're starting to pay more attention to that we have not maybe in the past? What would be some of those if there are? I'm thinking of calcium and I know it's on the verge. Oh, I can't believe I have a brain fog on this. <laughs> Base saturation. Base saturation. God. Not I had to think of John Skinner. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hopefully, you're not using this part. I am going to no, use you're this not. part. Absolutely. <laughs> no. It's all part of it. Wendell likes to talk about this being unscripted, and I couldn't think of the words I was wanting to use a minute ago, so you might see a pause on our video, but 
what I was trying to think of a minute ago was base saturation and calcium levels. You know, there's some things that, you know, when we think about overall soil structure related to calcium content and then base saturation ability to exchange cations and, yep. and things like that within the soil. Um, you know, there's some things that, you know, I think on a local basis, if you have a resource available to you to work with to help you make the best decisions for your farms, things you need to consider when you're making these soil samples. Yep. And I think Bex too has good resources with their white papers and so on and sure. dive into it. We've got a lot of that information PFR out there studies. with some PFR studies and some of those things come into light. And I know uh, different guys um, that I've listened to at some of the tent talks at the field shows and stuff. And I think some of those white papers are available to you. Not call me, we'll get them to you. Sure. But they are they're tremendous with some of the later research we're getting even into P and even I think it's potassium levels recently, different um, you know, the bushel return on soybeans or corn, you know, and some of that is slightly changing with more research and modern technology of genetics and modern hybrids, right? And I know our December cop talk is going to have a nice article re regarding some of these topics we're talking about on soil sampling. Okay. So, so look at, for, look for the December crop talk in your mailbox. Fall tillage, let's jump to that real quick. Any thoughts on that? What for, I'm thinking of ripping really for, cause I'm talking about fall stuff, things we can do to correct so what are the effects of inline ripping Go ahead. on soil structure? You guys rip everything in the river bottom when you race. So. What happens? Yeah, I don't know. I think Scott does a really good job explaining this, but it helps it because yeah. earlier um, it just helps break up the soil structures. And um, Yeah, well, I'm mostly worried about tillage pans, things like that, or where we've had such wet springs, we have a lot of yep. uh, compaction. And this would have been an outstanding fall to make a deep pass through the soil to help yep. heave and break up those pans that we're looking at. Um, you know, it's been it's been fun over the years walking alongside an inline ripper and watching just what those things can do. You know, looking at it from a cab is one thing, but walking behind it and feeling what yeah. it's doing to the ground, seeing it raise and crumble and yep. leaving the residue right on top, and you know, you fractured all those compacted yep. areas deeper into the soil and i think that's would have been a great year as dry as we were because then you wouldn't have caused deeper compaction issues due to the dryness and in our area i think we're still fairly dry subsoil wise mm -hmm. i still think there's opportunity if you Absolutely. have that ability uh i'm going to ask maybe you i don't know if you guys have thought about this part but how deep does one how does one go out there and you're in the field and you're you set it in the ground and you're wondering how deep do i need to go i have a soil probe right is that a good point to check what I like is I have a stainless steel power probe. It's real slick sided yep. and it slides into the soil very easily and you can feel hard zones. And then just mark that where you felt that tillage, yep. that hard zone. And uh, you want to make sure you're just below that. So go like below maybe, it. Maybe let's just say it's seven inches. You could go to nine. Yep. Kind of approximate depth for yep. your. I, I would push on in two or three feet, you know, whatever your depth of your soil yep. is around here. That varies so greatly. But uh, make sure you get just below wherever the firm layers are within your soil profile. Okay. Good point. I made a short little video last fall and never published it about this because I also I was I got um, I started second guessing myself on whether I was accurately talking about how deep to go because I think sometimes we, we don't want to just sink your shanks because right why what would happen if you just said I'm just going to pull it as deep as I can pull it. Well, I guess the fear gets if you get into a wetter spot and then you end up causing a smear zone mm -hmm. deeper you where make, it's wetter. You're sinking a problem even deeper at right. that point. Then yeah, sure yeah. And what, what is the difference between what is an inline ripper doing that is different from a soil standpoint versus maybe some of the other old, I'm going to call them your chisels and chisels. The, the rippers. Yes. Yeah. I, 
one thing I got to watch is what we called equipment where I was raised, maybe totally different. Than right. She was raised or you. So, you know, you have your different types of rippers. Some of them flip the soil, you yeah. know, we chiseled and that just yeah. pulled chunks out, you know, but the inline rippers that I'm thinking of, they just go in and yeah. uh, they're the way With they points work. on the front. Right. They lift it and drop it. They yeah. don't do any turning of the soil at all. They're just fracturing any compacted zones yep. that are in the deeper portions of the soil profile. Sure. As a side note of interest, um, in 2020, I believe it was, we did some inline ripping on a trial basis. We just purchased an eight or whatever, the seven shank or whatever it was. And we noticed difference in yield in the yield monitor. I could see it. And um, especially in our flat black ground, you alluded to bottom ground mm -hmm. that you're doing. And we noticed a big difference there. And then in low swells in areas where maybe it's wetter, it could have been maybe it's more compacted in those yeah. areas because they tended maybe we abused that we area. Yeah, we drove through it when it's a little baby, a little wet. Yep. And so those are the biggest um, returns we see. So to me, one example to see just how easy it is, is to compact is look at our plantings the last few years. We've been planting when we had when we had the opportunity, and it's yep. still a little wet, and we have those two inch bricks along the seed furrows yes. just from surface compaction alone. Yes. So you can imagine with heavier equipment, yes, auger wagons. Big combines full of grain. Yep. Putting a compaction layer in that soil and anything we can do. You know, obviously people who are 100% no-till, they don't have that option. But right. if you're not 100% no-till, may be a great yes. opportunity to break some of that up yes. in a year like this where we haven't had excessive rain yep. late to keep the soil wet. Yep. Gotcha. Do you have anything else, Selena or Scott, you would like to add to our conversation here before we close? I think... You know, we're going to have our insight meetings, PFR insight meetings coming up in the, I think we're first week of, second week, uh, week of the 7th? January. I can't remember. We'll get those dates. But it's, but it's January. It's the second, the second week, uh, the second ninth week. through the. I can't remember the dates. But, but it's we'll in January. Out. Yes. First part of January. Yeah. And we'll have uh, a local one somewhere near Nevada yeah. here. Should so. get a get a mailer in your mailbox as well as I'll try to reach out as well. To, yep. We've got our know. presentations put together now. We're in yep. the middle of polishing those up, so we're about ready to roll. And do you know right offhand, are they doing any of the live streams again this year? They're not. They're not doing the live streams. So those will be the in-person ones yep. we need to attend. In-person, yep. Okay. With that. At least not that I'm aware of. I don't yep. think we're doing any live uh a virtual PFR Insight meeting this year. We may right. do some recordings of things, but we're not doing the full meeting. The live show. Right. With that, I think we're going to uh, close down here on Agronomy Moment today. We hope you enjoyed it. Give us your feedback. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone, thank you for joining us today on Agronomy Moment, a Top Ag Services production. If you want alerts on what we are finding in the field, go to topagservices.com forward slash signups to receive alerts, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. It is our goal to bring you the most recent and advanced information possible. If you have any questions or feedback, feel free to reach out to us anytime. We also ask you that you give us a like and follow our channel wherever you listen to your podcasts or watch these videos. This ultimately helps us reach more people like you.
Hey, this has been Wendell Cohen, your show host. Thank you to all who made this show possible. This show is over. See ya.